we are going to jump into a sermon series that we are going to go through all summer long on prayer. I feel like as a church, there's several things that God has called us to do. One is to know Christ. And two is to make Him known. But there's different things about that that we are learning as a church. And one of them is about prayer. Over this past year, matter of fact, over the last four or five years, we have seen God do some miraculous things. Uh, we have seen healings. We've seen deliverances. Uh, we've seen how God has allowed us into the communities in ways that many churches will never, ever be a part of. Um, and I really believe that because at the very onset of the plant, we said prayer is going to be part of our DNA. DNA is the makeup of the human body. And we said as we journey in faith together, that prayer was going to be essential and part of our DNA. And so for the next two months, we are not going to go into summer, because oftentimes summer in churches is, is interesting, right? I mean, think about it. How many people do we know that are on vacation this weekend? How many of us are leaving for vacation this week? Yeah. And so, like, it's this weird time of life, but at the same time, it's never a time for the church to just kind of shut down and just kind of coast through two months of what God is doing in people's lives. And so I really, as we talked as a staff, we said the most important aspect of who we are as a church is being a church of prayer. Because when people pray, they show that they are surrendering their lives to the will of God. And in our area, that is almost impossible. Because here's how we usually pray. We make a decision, and then we ask God to confirm it with our agenda, right? We have financial issues. We have relationship issues. We have business issues. We have marriage issues. We have parenting issues. We have all these issues in our lives, and we say to God, here's what I'm going to do. Now come alongside me and make sure it works out as planned. That is not prayer. Prayer is more than just partnering with God. Prayer is learning to put ourselves under the authority of Christ so that God's good, pleasing, and perfect will can be lived out. And so this is how we're going to start it this morning. We're going to look at a character in Scripture that's life manifested prayer. That his DNA spoke prayer in every aspect of what he had done. And so this is what I want you to do with me. Turn to Daniel chapter 6. And if you have a church Bible, turn to 526. Daniel 6, which is on page 526. And we're going to jump right into it. Page 526. Here we go. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officials 
and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Stop right here. Let's give you a little background. Daniel was not a Babylonian. Daniel was an Israelite. And Daniel was captured. He was stolen out of Israel and placed into a place of slavery. Men from Israel were taken. They looked over the tribes and they saw those who seemed most competent. And they took them to Babylon to be their slaves. Now, slaves were broken up into many different venues. Some were slave laborers. And others were put into higher positions, but yet were still slaves. And we know the story of Daniel, many of us do, that when Daniel was taken, the first thing that they tried to do is to convert him to become a Babylonian. Now listen to that. Many of us don't think of that. But what they had done to Daniel and his people, the men, was to convert them to Babylonians. And they tried to dress them. They tried to cut their hair. They tried to make them eat food that was sacrificed to idols. They did everything so that these men would slowly but surely conform into the Babylonian culture. But here's what Daniel did. Daniel knew that God had a bigger plan. And so in the very offset, the very beginning, Daniel would not conform. And all throughout his young life, he would not conform. And whenever the Babylonians had said, this is what we want you to do, Daniel sought God. We know in Daniel chapter 1 that Daniel had fasted that he would not eat the foods that were sacrificed to idols, to the gods, the foods of the culture. But rather for 10 days, he only ate fruits and vegetables. And he said, test me. Other words, what he was saying is, don't test me, but test my God. And Daniel and his men came out with flying colors. They looked better, they were clearer, they were sharper. And the king and the officials started taking notice that there's something unique about this Daniel and these three other guys. And so that's Daniel chapter 1, and this continued to happen all throughout Daniel's life. And every time that Daniel sought God, God showed up. But here's the twist. You see, when we read the Bible, we always almost begin at the end. Like, we want to make sure that the Bible ends really, really happy. We almost read Revelations 21 before we read Genesis 1, before we read Genesis 1 because we want to make sure that there's a happy, healthy, prosperous ending. So when we look at the life of Daniel, we read chapter 1 and we kind of skim through to make sure that he was okay. But do you know, every time that Daniel was put in a compromising situation, there were two choices. Life or death. He was not a citizen of Babylon. 
He was not a Babylonian. And the only choice that he had, because every time that he stepped in to persecution, the penalty, if he did not succeed, was death. You see, we look at a character like Daniel and we think like, man, this dude must have had a happy life, an easy life, all these different things. But Daniel's life was a life of chaos, of tension, of faith. One of the things that I thought about early this morning when I was just praying and just going over my notes, I was thinking like, Daniel didn't even have the word of God. Daniel didn't sneak in the Torah that he could read and keep him encouraged and build him up and, and not like us, that like when we're having a bad day, we can go to Philippians 2, we can go to Colossians 1, we can go read about Jesus in the Gospels and, and in those moments of weakness and brokenness that we can be encouraged that even in my doubt, I see men and women and children having faith. For Daniel, his faith was different. It's even fair to say that it was blind faith. His faith and his conviction was so deep that for some reason, no matter what decisions were thrown at him, no matter what he had to step in, it was either God will show up or I'll go see God. Do you ever think of it that way? Daniel knew whatever decisions that he was going to make as a young man and beginning to step into life, that no matter what he had chosen to do, God was going to be present. He will be present in my life or he'll be present in my death. And when you look at Daniel, the book of Daniel, you just start seeing this pattern, this, this personality, this DNA of faith that's based on prayer. And as he starts going up the ranks and as the kings and the leaders start seeing something unique about Daniel, they're like, you know what? I kind of want to have this guy on my side. It's kind of like being in third or fourth grade. That Remember when you played kickball? You never want to be the last one chosen. You never want to be the last guy. Everyone lines you up. And, and fortunately, I was tall, so I was always picked like in the, like the top five. Like they always wanted the big guy because whether I could kick it or not, I had to be able to kick it out the infield. But as the leaders started seeing Daniel's life, they said, you know what? I'll take him. He's on my team. Because everything that Daniel touched turned to gold. And we know what happens when other people succeed. People stop liking you. Matter of fact, people start getting jealous of you. People start getting envious of you. People almost try to find nooks and crannies to, to challenge your character. I mean, think about this. Over the last month, we have all heard something very positive happen to another individual. How did you react? How did you respond? 
And as the administrators and the high officials saw what was happening in Daniel's life, they said, we've got to figure out a way to get rid of this guy. He's taking my spot. He's taking my position. I mean, look what the king has done. He put him in a place of a Babylonian. What about me? What about my reward? And so in this moment, they decided to have a plan. Because they, they knew the only way that they could trick Daniel was by his faith, by his religion. Verse 6. So the administrators and high officials went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. We administrators, officers, high officers, advisors and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now your majesty... Issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed. An officer, official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. Simply this. This is all they did. They hit the king right where he would have to say yes. You see, kings all throughout all the generations were looked as deity. They were looked at being godlike. No matter where in the world they are, kings are a picture of God. That authority that everyone has to come under, that everyone is subject to their leadership, their wealth, their health, their poverty, is all dictated by the king. And so when a king is in a place of position, they are actually godlike. And they knew that Daniel would not pray to the king. And so as they are building up the king's pride and his ego and his arrogance, they, he probably slowly went into this dream world that forgetting about Daniel and who Daniel had worshipped. And he's like, yeah. The only one for 30 days that they can pray to is me. And there must have been more to this conversation that's not written in the pages of Scripture, but you even wonder if he even thought like, you know what, the Israelites, they must, they have to be in a place that they will only pray to me that they can stop. Look what I've done for them. I've put them in places of leadership. I've cared for them. I've fed them. I have shepherded them even in their slavery. And so he signs the law that can never be revoked. Penalty? Thrown into the lion's den. So the officials, the, lawyer, the, the governors, the high rulers go to Daniel and tell him, this is the law. This is what you have to do. And if you don't, 
you will be thrown into a lion's den, sealed with a stone, ripped to shreds, and you will die. You know what's funny is, is that all of us go through tensions. All of us get through crisis. All of us go through hard times. And for some reason, there are times that we just see the hand of God just kind of pull us out, and we're like, wow. I mean, think about Rich. God, if I can use you for a moment. Three weeks ago, he came in here broken about his granddaughter. And he pulled me aside, and this is not Rich Gatto-like fashion. He said, we need to pray. We need to pray for my granddaughter. And what did God do? He showed up. The baby was off the ventilators in hours. And God showed up. And we often think that when God shows up like that, that he, we almost keep stepping into him. <sighs> Trials, tribulations. <sighs> and it's almost like we have the ability and the wind to push us through our persecutions, through our trials, through our infirmities. But here's the thing that we have to realize. Yes, that's how it is supposed to work. But we're also human and frail and broken. And more times than not, that we can see this, that we just beg God, show up, show up, show up. <sighs> he does. But then we fall back into the ways of our world, of our chaos, of our busyness, and we step back into us controlling the things that we're not supposed to. And so when the big things in life come at us again, we, we're, we're back in almost stage one, this tension like, can I step into God? Can I trust him to show up? And it almost seems like we're, we're, like, we're, like we're hamsters on the wheel of faith. Yes, we keep going. Yes, we keep going. Yes, we keep going. But we're not going anywhere. And more times than not, we almost find ourselves almost at the beginning, almost at this place of immaturity, almost at this place of infancy in our relationship with God. You ever feel that way? Big decisions come up, big trials, big persecution, big issues, big financial concerns. And we've watched the hand of God show up, blow in, but yet we find ourselves back. At square one. And this is the same tension that Daniel had to work with. But here's what's beautiful about Daniel. Prayer. Faith. Obedience. Was part of his DNA was part of his personality that he had nowhere else to go. Verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down. And here's the key. This is the key. That he knelt down 
as usual. So what does that mean? It's something he did all the time. He went home and he prayed as usual. In his upstairs room. But here's what was unique. With its windows open towards Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done. But the only difference is is that he stepped out of his prayer closet because Jewish people would hide. They would go into a place of privacy. Instead, he stepped into the world. He opened his windows and he stepped into the chaos. And he prayed as he normally had. He prayed three times a day, just as he always had done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Didn't you do this? Didn't you say that if someone was to pray to anything else but you, this was the penalty? Yes. That decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Now here's the kicker. He was thinking about others rather than Daniel. You see, the king loved Daniel. Daniel would interpret dreams. Daniel was wise. Daniel was not a liar. He would not backstab the king. He did not manipulate people to get ahead. The one person the king had loved was Daniel, who was a foreigner, who was a slave, who was an Israelite and not a Babylonian. So he's thinking, yeah, Daniel wouldn't do this. So anyone should be penalized. Then they told the king that man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Now check this out. Bless you. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. And he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. And so what these officials did was they took Daniel because it was law. And they threw him into a den of lions. Now the problem is, if any of you ever went to Sunday school, or you've seen a cartoon of Daniel being thrown into a den of lions, they don't look like lions, they look like puppies. It would be like thrown into a den of like Labrador retrievers. They just want to lick the life out of you. But lions are real. Lions rip off body parts. 
Lions hurt when they bite. And when you get bit, that arm is no longer there. And the king knew that the destiny of one of his favorite men was death. But you know what the king had done? And I'm just going to paraphrase this because you can, you can read it. The king mirrored the life of Daniel. Yes, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Not with a bunch of Labradors, but with a bunch of lions. And yes, that den was sealed, that it was impossible for it to be opened. But the king mirrored. He did not mimic. He was not a mind. He mirrored. He saw the life of Daniel and said, I need that. I need the power of God that I've seen in Daniel's life intervene on my behalf. And so all night the king had fasted and prayed to the God of Daniel. And the first thing that happened is after he was up all night and after he fasted and after he prayed. Now remember, the king should never fast. The king does not have to pray because he is the God. He in humility seeks the God of heaven, the creator of, of all. And when he wakes up, or when, he, when he, everyone wakes up, he runs and he runs down to the den and he has the officials and the soldiers take that stone off. And he cries out to Daniel, Are you there? And Daniel cries back, Yes, I am. This is how Daniel answered Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the mouths of the lions so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and he lifted Daniel out of the lion's den. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. Do you know why he did that? Because the evil that this, these men had consumed, it was thought that was going to be passed down to the lineage of their children. And so the best way to get rid of this man is not only getting rid of him, but his wife and his children. And so he killed their families. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Multiple lions with really big teeth. And this is so cool. It says, then the King Darius sent this message to the people. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with a fear before the God of Daniel. 
Remember, this is Babylon. Multiple gods, and the highest of gods was the king. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Daniel's power and his authority did not just stop with this king, but it continued. I mean, think about this. As a church, we have prayed that the power of God would be present. We have prayed that, that, that people would see Christ in our midst, in our community. That people would trust the same living God that we put our faith in every single day. And more times than not, we find ourselves yelling and screaming, angry with God, turning our back on Him, not trusting that His big plan is perfect and eternal. But here's what I learned about the life of Daniel. God is real. And God longs to step into our persecutions, into our trials, into our oppressions, into our relationships, into our financial situations, into our physical and medical conditions, and into each other's lives. And the reason that Daniel had always seen the hand of God is because he always trusted the hand of God. He always trusted the presence of God. And he didn't cheat. And he didn't swerve. And he didn't get off the path. But for some strange reason, for a guy who had every right to be the accuser of God, you put me in slavery. You set me up to fail. I'm no longer an Israelite. I'm a Babylonian. Look at me. Look at my hair. Look at my outfit. Look at my language. I don't even speak like I used to. But for some reason, he had known the living God. In his moments of intimacy with God, that was only found in prayer. And every decision that Daniel had made, all the way through chapter 9 and chapter 10 and chapter 11, just read through it. It was always God. You make the decision and I will step into it. God, here's my chaos. You make sure that everything is to go the way that you planned and I will step into it. And you know what Daniel learned? <clears throat> that God's plan was always perfect. And Daniel had come to the place that he said, you know what? If something is not to work out the way that I expect it to, that was God's perfect plan. I hate that. 
I mean, seriously, God and I had a fight in my office on Friday that I literally closed my Bible. I'm like, I quit. I can't do this. How am I going to go on Sunday and preach? I was saying things to God that I know that I shouldn't have said. And afterwards, I'm like, I'm sorry. Don't kill me. Because that day did not work out the way that I wanted it to. I had a plan. I had an agenda. And I even got up and I prayed about it. And it didn't go the way that Rob thought. But it was God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Because in that moment, I took myself off my pedestal. And I put Jesus back. If you want to experience the fullness of God, it's found in having a personality, the DNA of prayer, that you trust Him, that you rely on Him, that you let Him go forward before you and you follow Him. You see, we have this leadership craze, even in the church, the best leaders, the top leaders, the strongest leaders. No, we're supposed to be the best followers. We're supposed to be in this thing, not in leadership, but followership. Who's our leader? Jesus. And as Jesus goes before us, we follow him. Daniel followed the living God of Israel. Joseph followed the living God of Israel. The disciples followed the living God, Jesus. And the only way that we do this is when Jesus is our Savior and Lord. That's the number one thing. And it's simply this. Every day that Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life, you're saying, Jesus, go before me. And I will follow. And I will follow. And I will follow. But you have no idea where to go unless you go to Him in prayer. And I believe that the problem with the church in the Western Hemisphere is that they are a prayerless church. And every church that is a praying church will see the power and the presence of God in their midst. Do you want your children to be children of prayer? then pray. Do you want to see God do amazing things in your marriage? Then pray. Do you want God to provide someone for you in the midst of being single? Then pray that God would bring the best, not the one. If you want God to be present with you at work in all these different situations, in whatever it may be, then pray, then follow.
We have to stop being the hamster. But you know why we like the hamster? Because he's fed every day. He's given water. Maybe if you have kids that have a hamster, they're fed, like, they're fed and given water like every three weeks. But at least they know it's coming sometime. But it's safe. It's comfortable. But what a horrific life. I, I truly believe with all my heart, and this is like totally going out on a limb, I truly believe that God wants to use you in ways that you would never, ever imagine. I look at a Mike Langlar, sorry Mike, who God brought he and his wife from Canada for some strange reason, to live in Waldwick, New Jersey. To just move there for a short period of time. To just go work in the UN and do the safe, comfortable Christian thing. I believe God wants to use Mike in a way that he'll never know. I look at Joe Chinisi, and Joe's had a tough run. And he met Omar for some reason and he wanted to begin to mirror Omar's life. And I'll never forget the first time that he showed up, he showed up in a suit. I'm like, Omar did not give him the notice. You did? Did it anyways. And I've watched him. God has not put him at TD Bank just to serve the community of Allendale. God has used him has positioned him, if Joe wants, to mirror the power of God. I look at Monica Wolf, and I see someone who was always on that place of, I want more of God, but I'm really comfortable. I want more of him, but I don't know how to step into it. And she, she and her husband go on this journey of faith with us. And, and half the time, we, we're just trying to figure this out. But I can't believe that God just brought her here for, for a period of time to, to be in safe environments. But rather that God has brought her into a pregnancy center to live out our calling of following Jesus. to mirror him to those who had a life and death struggle. I see Mia, not Mia Niebles, but Mia DiCerio, who faithfully in high school had come here with her parents, living in the city, making all the efforts to show up here to hear what God has in store just for a safe environment to kind of get through her high school years, but rather to prepare her to be a testimony in the arts community, to have the freedom and the liberty to not get caught up in the traditional church of, hey, come with me to Bible study, but rather I'm going with you to mirror God in your culture. And I look at each one of them and I see that God wants to just be that safe of
But I believe in soul. When we follow Jesus in prayer, we'll see moments come to life. Not faith, not salvation, all the little searchy words, right? But life eternal. Eternal life. Not just for there, but for here. You see, that's all the word salvation means is life. I want to challenge you this summer, and we will help you press into God like never before. Do not go on vacation from your faith, and we will not go on vacation on you. We are not going to step back and and just kind of coast through what's going to happen, but we are going to step in and believe that God is going to do something supernatural. But we need to do this together.